right, and welcome back to another rendition of Fine Answers. Today on the podcast, we have Eric Sacchetta, who's a financial advisor. We have Mike Callahan, who is a partner. We have George Leokakis, who is a CPA, and yours truly, Matt Stead, who is also a financial advisor. And Mike, what are we talking about today? So we, we came across an interesting Forbes article, and it really is just talking about the trend towards younger people staying at home longer and kind of we're going to talk about what that means for the kids, what that means for the parents. And according to the article, 52% of, of young people between the ages of 18 and 29 are living at home with their parents, which is a record high, eclipsing the, the previous high of 48% during the Great Depression, which you know sounds like it was more a needs-based thing you know, based on the times and what was going on then. And the question is, why are we kind of going that way again? You know, why are kids living at home longer? And is it is it because they have to? Is it because they want to? You know, why, why is that? And what does it mean? Right. And I should mention, too, the, the article that we're referencing today, it, it was a Forbes article by Joseph Coughlin. It was published in September of 2020. And, you know, it's, what we're saying is just in no way an endorsement of his thoughts. We just thought it was a interesting article that we could we could discuss. So... Um, and the other housekeeping item that I will bring up is, so George, in his introduction, I should have said he is our resident case study for <laughs> staying at home longer. So hopefully we can pick his brain and maybe get the real world answers of why it's actually happening. <laughs> Thanks for putting me on the spot like that. <laughs> yeah, that's what this podcast is all about. It's about getting to the truth. Um, so yeah, like Mike said, it's basically, we're seeing some changing norms for kids staying at home longer. And uh, what what do we all think is kind of the driving force in that? I think it's both the fact that there is some necessity, but then there's also the opportunity to stay at home, save money. The, the real question that, um, you know, the financial industry, especially us, can help people understand and, and be able to, to, you know, have people progress in their lives and their careers is if you're in that situation because it's not a 100% necessity, you don't have any money, it's a, actually a great opportunity to look at, you know, what are the bills that you have? What's the spending that you have? You, a person in that situation, a lot of times is going to look at it as, oh, I, I, maybe I got done with college and I wish I had this career that was at a certain point already and they're living at home. Maybe they're doing a different job, but there's still opportunities if you were to assess your financial situation to, um, you know, to really set yourself up for the future. You know, we've done uh, some videos and stuff. Uh, we did one called the 10 versus 30 rule. And it talks about if you invest the same amount of money for the first 10 years versus the next 30 years and get the same rate of return, the person who invested those first 10 years would actually have more money after after 40 years than the other person. So in that example, let's say you're one of these people living at home and you're saying, I could set some money aside, but let me wait until I get out into my career. Well, if you were able to budget in a way to actually save some of that money, that you could actually end up with more money than the person who waited till they you know, got further along in their career. Yeah. So it's, it basically sounds what, like what you're saying is it's like a trial period almost where right. it's like you're half in the real world and half still sort of have that safety net of mom and dad, you know, making sure you're, you're actually making it out there. I think the other thing too is, and and I know I've done this at different points, is if you 
you know, if, if you own a house or you're renting, you have to pay that bill every month. Whereas if you're at home and you are, do have a job and you make a budget and you figure out how much you can save, if you act as if you have those bills, even if you don't actually have them, that sets you up to know whether you can get that house or have that rent payment. And it, it sets you up as a saver to, to get those things, but also continue that habit beyond when you move out of the house. Right. Well, I think, too, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because, I, like you say, it may not be necessarily financial necessity right now, but I think to some degree it's, you know, and obviously I, I have the least insight into this being the, the oldest person in the room. Um, but I think a lot of it is just a, a distrust of the economy, right, is that a, a lot of people or a lot of younger people right now, you know, either got out of college or, or were in college during the, the financial crisis 10 years ago. You know, they looked at the job market that completely fell apart as kids were coming out of school and couldn't find jobs. And everything since then has kind of been more geared towards the gig economy and, and short-term, temporary, you know, transient work, right? So they're kind of looking at this job market saying, okay, well, how am I going to go get a place that, that costs, you know, two to $3,000 a month when I don't have any confidence in the fact that I'm going to be able to make that payment right. you know, every month for the next 30 years. So I think th- there's some truth to that, right, is that they just don't necessarily trust that they're – it's not the days of their parents where they went to work for one company for, for 40 years and got a steady paycheck and everything was fine. Yeah, I mean I think there is some financial considerations too, and, and a huge portion of that is just student loan debt. I mean anecdotally speaking, and I don't have any numbers on this, but from the people in my life – it seems as though the people that didn't go to college and just went and either got a job or maybe went into the armed forces for a while, they're out on their own already versus all of the people that I know who did go to college, they're still at home. And I think a huge portion of that is just because of the, the enormous student loan payments so many people have. Oh, absolutely. And balancing that with either rent or a mortgage is nearly impossible. Well, to your point, I remember talking to a friend of mine, it was a number of years ago now, but you know, she was a, she's a nurse and went to undergrad and got a master's degree and then went to nursing school and, and looking at the student loan debt, I mean, it was legitimately a two to $3,000 a month payment. I mean, it, it was a mortgage payment yeah. just to cover the student loan debt. So like you say, that those loans took the place of the mortgage. So there was yeah. just no ability to go add a mortgage on top of that. Right. It's crippling in, in a sense. And if you think like a couple generations before us, did they really have these student loans? No. Chances are, no, they no. didn't. I mean, these the tuition is rising like incredibly fast, and it's just like, you know, when is that going to stop? <laughs> they gotta, they have to kind of. I feel like, I mean, this could be another topic, but they have to kind of regulate how much you know these schools can continue to increase there because this is. I think that I believe that's the main factor. And again, I'm 29 and I still live with my mother, so. Um, I mean, it makes it makes you wonder too if the trend continues this way. Are people going to be in their thirties still living at home? And how does that not only financially impact you, but how does it socially impact you? Like George is already on the brink of social impairment. (laughs) If he go, if he's still living at home in five years, I think it's a lost cause. Well, so going back to the article, I mean, another stat they cite in the article is that according to the General Social Society report in two thousand nineteen, fifty one percent of young adults eighteen to thirty four did not have a romantic partner, which is also a record since 1985. So to your point, it, that is already happening, right? Is the more people that spend more time at home, the more they delay starting a family or, or having kids or things like that. 
I think that that's all true. We also got to tie it back to what are you going to do about it, right? So, um, you George, know, George, move out. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I was thinking more to move my mother down into the basement. And I, <laughs> so my point was, let's say you someone that does have student loan debt, but then they get out of of college and they have a decent paying job, but they do have that big payment that you're discussing. The problem, though, is most of those. Uh, people that just graduated, they kind of just throw their hands up in the air and say, well, that's what I can afford and I'm just going to spend the rest of the money versus actually looking at um, what else do I spend my money on and making conscious decisions about what I spend my money on. You know, um, you know, my wife and I like to travel and we spend quite a bit of money on travel and I don't spend a lot of money on almost anything else. But, you know, we'll discuss that with someone else, whether it's relatives or friends, whatever. And they'll say, how could you possibly afford to do that while they get four or five Amazon packages coming to the door every day? And there's nothing wrong with either of those things. It's just, are you consciously figuring out, you know, what you're spending your money on? I know Mike talks about, um, you know, how he doesn't drink and that's uh, the money he saved by not drinking is how he's bought some of the houses that he's bought. And and that's what I'm that's what I'm talking about though is making choices that houses the sobriety built yeah exactly <laughs> but do you get what I'm saying like it, you you listen to some of this and you say oh student loans there's a reason I can't succeed that's the end of it no what what are you going to do about it yeah and like you say I mean it, it, life's about trade offs right so it's there it's not a matter of there's a right decision and a wrong decision a lot of times it's just what are the things that are important to you that you want to spend your money on and you know everything else is. I don't want to say a waste of money, but it's you, you just be conscious about it, right? You spend on what makes you happy and everything else. You cut costs and try to save where you can. And, you know, I think longer term, the question becomes, what does all this mean for all of us? You know, and I think... Yeah, I was going to say from a macro perspective, uh, how does this affect the economy in the long run? You're essentially delaying the creation of new households and new families. And, and the household is the number one generator of you know, getting the economy going. Um, so it's like, you know, you're not buying new appliances and, and furniture and you're not having the landscaper come because you, you don't have that extra house. It's all consolidated into one under your parents. Well, and I think the, the biggest headwind you're going to, we're going to face is, and we're already facing it now is jobs, right? Is, you know, we're so conditioned for politicians to talk about creating jobs, creating jobs, creating jobs. So that that's kind of what we look for. And, I mean, a year ago, before the pandemic, the issue we had was there were more people, there were more job openings than there were people looking for jobs. You know, so for the first time in a long time, the issue wasn't how do we create more jobs? It was how do we find more people to fill the jobs we need them to fill? Mm -hmm. And if you look at delaying household creation, delaying children, or having fewer children because you had, you know, the first one so late, that's going to get even worse, right? As, As the baby boomers retire and you look at who's behind them to take take over the jobs it's going to get it's going to be a problem and you know japan is kind of the poster child for that issue right is that their population is aged to the point where their economy has been stagnant for 20 years right because their their pot their the demographics just don't support the kind of growth they need to get the economy going Mm -hmm. and you know we could end up somewhat in that same situation you know and so you look at things like how do you improve technology and increase automation and, you know, create more efficiency. And like you said, people look at 
machines taking over certain jobs as a step backwards and a bad thing for the economy, it's actually probably going to be a good thing because at some point we may not have the people available to take those jobs in the first place. Right. Okay. So we, we, we kind of talked about the impacts to the kid or the student or, or whatever you want to call them. And we also talked about the impact to the overall economy, but I think there's kind of one glaring thing that we haven't touched on yet, and it's the impact to the to the parents. Well, um, I'm probably going to take the same angle that I did with the kids, which is um, you have to look at the opportunity that's in, in front of you. And I have two young kids, and I don't know exactly how I'll feel about it when they're at that age. But I would say, to me, you know, the article talks about how parents end up you know, paying for a lot of things for their kids that they didn't necessarily account for or, but then when you actually ask them, they said, I think, I think I'm spending about the right amount on my kids. And I think from a financial standpoint, um, you probably want to account for what you think you would be willing to do for your kids. And then if it ends up not being that much, then that's more money for you to live your life on versus the opposite saying, I'm going to have these hard ground rules. And then when you get to that age and that time period, you know, actually decide that you're going to, you know, spend more, spend more money. I know parents always laugh at potential new parents when they talk about all the rules that they're going to have for their kids. Oh, they're not going to watch TV. They're not going to do this. They're not going to do that. Oh yeah, you just wait. And then you have the kids and they end up, you know, breaking all these rules that you thought you were going to have because you had all this time and energy and whatever. So I'm not trying to tell parents of teenagers and all that what to do. I'm just saying, looking at, at, at the opportunity and overestimating what you might provide for the kids so that you're not caught off guard when, say, for example, you know, this year we had, we had COVID and there might be people that said, you know, I'm, I'm good keeping track of my kids unless they become completely dependent on me. Mm-hmm. And this was, you know, probably the longest economic cycle in a long time. And it just happened to be COVID that kind of ended the expansion, but just accounting for those things that may happen versus just saying, I hope it doesn't. Yeah. And I mean, this is a good segue into kind of a a more overarching topic about, you know, we build these financial plans for people and so much of it just focuses on either the, you know, the the individual or the married couple in rarely it takes into consideration the impacts that other people in your family could have on, on your plan and on your life. And in this instance, it's kids staying longer in the house with parents. So maybe they can't downsize when they wanted to, and that was kind of crucial to their, the success of their plan. Um, but, but it happens, you know, in the opposite direction too. Kids grow up, they leave the house and as their parents age, they often become more responsible for, you know, helping out and taking care of them in the real tricky part. And maybe Mike can, can touch on this a little bit because I know we were discussing it earlier is right now we're seeing what, what is the sandwich generation? Is that what they're calling it? Um, yeah, essentially, you know, people a little older than some of the people we're talking about now that are still at home, but, you know, kind of my generation is one of the first that's kind of been sandwiched between having really young kids at the same time that their parents are getting to the point that they need extra care, mm-hmm. right? And you kind of get it from in both directions, you know, is that instead of, you know, having younger parents to help with the kids like generations before us, we're to the point where our kids might be, you know, five or six years old and our parents are 70, you know, so you end up having both kind of angles to worry about providing care to the parents, providing care to the kids, and trying to coordinate that whole thing logistically and, and financially. So to your point, I mean, I think it changes the dynamic of 
a lot of things you thought was going to be your financial plan, right? So if, if your financial plan kind of counted on at some point down the road, maybe we'll downsize the house once the kids are out. Well, that once the kids are out may not be when you think it is. Right. You know, it might be 10 years later. Or in, and can your financial plan sustain you for those 10 years before you can free up the equity in the house and, and use that for retirement? Um, so I think it really just changes the, some of the variables you got to look at, you know, when you're talking about financial planning. Mm-hmm. So are you telling Matt and I, we have to have kids now <laughs> so we don't get sandwiched together. <laughs> you, want, you, want you want somebody to take the jobs. <laughs> no, I mean, it's all true in, in, it's not only kids and parents too, right? Even siblings or somebody else in that you're close with in your family can, can derail it intentionally or not. You know, maybe you have a sibling that's not a very good saver. And by the time you both get to retirement, they're like looking at you like, oh, I need help. And what are you going to say? No, it's, you know, it's your brother or sister. So it's like that, that could derail it too. Or, you know, tragedy strikes and maybe your sister or your brother has some kids and in, in um, them and their significant other gets, you know, tragically killed or something. And then you're responsible for their kids. So, I mean, there's so many variables that could be taken into consideration, but and it's tough to build it all out in a plan, but I mean, you just at least start thinking about these things and thinking about courses of action that you could take with different scenarios like this so you're not caught too off guard. Well, like you say, I mean, I think the the answer is a lot of times financial planning isn't just making sure that you have your affairs in order. It's kind of making sure that all of the people that could peripherally affect you have their plans in order. And that is probably not an easy thing to do, but to your point, if if your siblings have kids and you know, you may be kind of called upon to step in if something happened. Yeah. You know, maybe it makes sense to ensure that they have all the proper documents and, and you know, all the things, all their estate planning is set up properly. Or the and, proper insurance policies even too. So exactly. You, you know, you're Absolutely. not stuck with the financial burden of it. But right? don't, don't you also think that, because sometimes people say, well, how do I reach that topic with these people is you kind of set the example, right? So you set up your plan so that you have the proper documents and you decide who's going to be the guardians to your kids and where the money's going to go and all that stuff. And then you have the conversation from your standpoint um, to those people. And then because you've kind of come to them with it, then you can kind of more easily have the conversation in reverse because you're, you're showing the type of behavior that you want them to, to kind of emulate versus just going to them and be like, do you got your, you know, do you got your affairs in order? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Like you say, you don't want to sound preachy about it, right? Because right? then right. they're they're probably not going to take it well. But it's it's a very good point. I mean, setting it up yourself properly and kind of explaining to them why you did it. And you know, I did my estate planning. I have insurance because if something happens to me and somebody has to take care of the kids, I want to make sure that they have the resources to do that properly. And you know, it'll at least get the wheels turning. And they may look at it and say, "Man, that, that's something we got to look at." But like you say, man, I think it it really comes down to just looking at all the different angles of where these things could come from, right? And just be aware that it may not be as easy as just, well, I'll just save for retirement and retire when I'm 65 in one day and live the rest of my life in happiness. I mean, I think there's a lot of these things that can come out of nowhere and, and change it. And, you know, that's why we always say the financial plan is not a document that we hand you and send you on your way. I mean, the financial planning is always going to be an ongoing process because, the one thing we know for sure is that it's not going to look exactly like we design it. Right. It's going to change. Yeah. And I mean, we're not claiming to have all the answers here, but at least, you know, hopefully by listening to this, you can, you start to think about these different, these different things that could play out in your life and, you know, how to kind of plan, 
plan for the unplanned. Um, if that makes any sense, it doesn't really make sense, but we'll go with it. Um, all right. This has been another episode of fine answers. Again, our answers aren't great. They're fine. So that's, (laughs) that's why we decided to name it that. Uh, I think we'll cut it off there. So we'll see you in the next one. Finances is produced and edited by Sachetta and Callahan, LLC. All disclosures are posted to our website at sachetta.com forward slash finances. S-A-C-H-E-T-T-A dot com forward slash F-I-N-E-A-N-S-W-E-R-S. Thanks for listening.